This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 472, a conversation with Jose Villarubia. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 472. It's our conversation with Jose Villarubia. This episode will be coming out on Friday, the 28th of April. As we speak, I am in uh, in beautiful California, going to a Dodgers game, and maybe thinking about getting on a plane to come home uh, the following day on the 29th of April. Uh, actually, in adva- I'm actually recording this much in advance, April 19th. I had a chance to sit down with Jose Villarubia recently to discuss his career in comics. He's a, an amazing colorist. Um, so we really got, got into uh, his techniques. Now, the only downside of this episode was that for the first few minutes, uh, the audio didn't end up picking up as well on my end. Uh, it gets corrected uh, not long into it, um, so you'll notice a, a bit of a shift. Now, uh, because the software I'm using is able to level things out, uh, it won't be as noticeable as it was to me as I was when I was listening to it back. There was no way for me to uh, fix the first few minutes, um, maybe a little bit longer than just the first few minutes, uh, but it does get corrected. Um, I think about 10 12 minutes in uh, the audio does pick up and get a little bit clearer that's my bad it's not jose's uh at all uh, he was a tremendous guest who's he was very patient um and understanding and he uh was really gracious with his time and i'm really appreciative that he was able to uh to take the time out uh and spend it with us to uh, chat about his career in comics and uh what he does and how he does it and it's, it's quite an interesting conversation i mean i have to admit i, I don't know enough about how colorists operate and uh, it definitely made me want to talk to more colorists uh, to understand their process and what they go through. Uh, really entertaining, really interesting. I think you're really going to get a kick out of listening to Jose because um, he's, he's just a really interesting guy to talk to. Uh, hopefully we get it back on at some point. He has uh, a lot of great insights, and uh, I think uh, I think uh, my listeners will really enjoy this one. So you can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook. You can rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again, and let's jump right into the conversation with Jose. Jose, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you this evening? Very well, thank you. Thank you for asking me. Thank you uh, for taking the time out to, to join us for the show. Um, I, I want to go way back. Uh, what was your first kind of uh, interaction with comics? Um, when I was growing up in Spain, everybody read comics. So all the kids read comics. Uh, when we were When I was little and and everyone I knew was little, we would read uh, children's comics, which is was a huge market in Spain, and uh, they had their own characters that everybody knew and everybody read. And you started reading them pretty much at the same time that you started reading children's books. Um, when you were when you just first, first learned to read, you would read comics as well. And so I think it was around I was around twelve when I discovered. Comics and uh, and soon after DC Comics and very soon after European adult comics and underground comics. Mm. So I never really, I don't have a conscious memory of not reading comics. So it's always kind of just been part of part of the life. <laughs> yes, but as I said, it wasn't really unusual for for kids in my generation to grow up with comics. In every Spanish household that I knew had. Uh, almost complete set of Tintins and mm. complete sets of uh, Asterix and um, some other characters like that from the French and Belgian market uh, translated and in Spanish comics everybody knew and read the Karl Barks ducks everybody knew and many others 
Absolutely. Now, when how do how do you start breaking into the industry? Like you had a, a you know, as you said, you grew up with comics. Comic comics were always around. At what point did you think you know I want to I want to become involved in this industry? I want to break in. Well, when I was in high school, I thought I'd like to draw comics, and I was a good artist, so I uh, I made some samples and I sent them in an envelope. I sent photocopies to both Marvel and DC, and the samples were returned to me with a rejection notice from both of them, and and I just didn't give it any more thought. Um, so afterwards, what happened was that um, instead I pursued a career in fine art. And uh, I became a painter, and uh, then I became a professor. And when I was teaching in college, I had a student who turned out to be a professional comic book artist who was taking a painting class with me. His name is Greg LaRoque, and he had done a lot of work for The Flash and for uh, Legion of Superheroes. And he asked me if um, if I wanted to um, to draw comics. I said, yes, <laughs> of course. So um, he was doing Who is Who in the Legion of Superheroes at the time. And uh, so he asked me if I wanted to do some pinups. I said yes. And I picked a couple characters. Uh, I drew them. Uh, they got inked. And one of them was published. The other one somebody else had illustrated. At that time, I got a phone call from an editor. And I don't know who it was who just based on those two pinups offered me a backup story. I think it was Green Arrow, but I'm not sure. And I turned it down. <laughs> Why did you turn so, it down? Yeah, I did. Uh, politely. Uh, what had happened in the interim between... This was probably 10 years after I sent, I'd sent my submission, and I was uh, exhibiting in galleries, I was selling my work, I was doing exactly what I wanted, and the idea of uh, following a script didn't really appeal to me. So um, I let that sit for a while until um, uh, years later I was um, part of the board of directors of a local art center and uh, I was asked to create a show and I proposed to do a show of uh, sequential artists, local sequential artists and through that show I met uh, Jay Lee who was a very young artist at the time, working for Marvel and living in Virginia. And uh, Jay and I met and uh, we became good friends. And soon after, he asked me to work for him. He left Marvel and started working for Image. And he did not want traditional color in his book, his creator own book, which was Hellshock. Mm-hmm. He wanted uh, painted colors and he knew that I was a painter. So he asked me, and he knew I knew comics, so he asked me to paint it, and I did. And we did two Hellshock miniseries, and that was one of the beginnings for me in the industry. The other one was, I was doing fine art photography as well, and my mentor um, was a local photographer named Stephen John Phillips. And Stephen John Phillips had gone to Vertigo, and uh, based on what Dave McKeon was doing at the time, had proposed the idea of doing photo covers for them. And he did covers for them for a while, and then he proposed a graphic novel that was all photo collage done in Photoshop. And he asked me if I would help him, because he knew I 
know Photoshop. I, I learned it with him actually. And uh, I said yes. And so we did a photo collage um, Photoshop graphic novel called Veils, which was uh, something very new technology-wise at the time. And it was edited uh, by Karen Berger, and um, it got really good reviews. And that was how I was I was introduced as a digital artist to Vertigo, hmm. while Jay, around the same time, introduced me as a colorist to Marvel. Interesting. Now, and I guess that kind of leads into your your working on uh, the Century with Jay. Yes. And I guess um, was that kind of like I mean, obviously you'd already done the Hellshock books, but that was that kind of your first more larger press kind of mainstream exposure. Not that Image wasn't, but I mean, obviously Marvel at the time really pushed the Century. Yes, uh, that was my first, and uh, Jay when came went back to Marvel, and he picked in humans and he went to work with me but the company thought my work was a little bit too different so they um, assigned them other colorists Uh, but after doing humans other artists were asking to work with me as well because precisely because they wanted something different and so um, the company said okay and uh, since Jay was a co-creator of the century, he actually worked closely with me, and he actually had me design the colors for the character and pick the colors. And it was I did a little bit of research because uh, being uh, a Superman-like character, uh, the colors had to be completely not Superman and yet look heroic and look nice on the page. Mm. So um, I uh, work on the century with Jay. Um, Working on the century, um, there was several crossovers that happened at the end, and one of them was with Bill Sienkiewicz, which was uh, a great honor for me because he's a big influence. Mm-hmm. And um, and through those crossovers, I got to work with other uh, editors, and uh, and then they just continued giving me work. the The work was very well received. The uh, pages with Jay and uh, Kevich got into Society of Illustrators, uh, as well as uh, Vales also got into Society of Illustrators, which were not, they were not featuring comics at the time. So um, it was a great honor and uh, great exposure. And um, so that that uh, really was uh, how I got introduced to Marvel as a professional. Mm-hmm. A question about Century. Um, that book is, I mean, obviously the, the colors are, are fantastic. And as you said, they definitely set it apart from other books they were being kind of created for Marvel at the time. Um, in Throughout the book, you, you kind of got to do, I guess, kind of flashback sequences uh, in terms of having kind of more of an old school, uh, more traditional color palette. What was it like kind of doing that, which is, again, very different than your own regular style? Well, uh, that was a lot of fun. What I did uh, for that, and Jay was very happy, is uh, I actually scanned uh, Silver Age comics. And uh, I used not just the color of the Silver Age comics, but I also used the texture. So they had the pulp Mm -hmm. texture and the dot matrix. Um, So I wanted to make them look as much as possible like a facsimile and... uh, and not cheat, not put effects, not colorized line, not do anything like that. And so it was fun, but um, I think that uh, it wasn't just doing a different style. It's just Jay wanted me to do painted colors 
um, and I like doing painted colors because of being a painter, but uh, that wasn't appropriate for everything. So um, depending on the artists I work with and the project and the style, I have done different approaches uh, and it started right away. It started with that first project. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so with, with the century, so actually I wasn't even aware. So you, you actually colored all the, uh, all the team up one shots as well. No, not all of them. No, uh, no, there was the one that Bill Sienkiewicz did, which was the Hulk. And then there was one that Martek Sarah did, which was done in gray tone. It was beautiful. I have some of those pages framed in my studio wow. and that was, uh, I colored that as well. And then there were two more, one by Mark Silvestri and the other one by Phil Winsley that I didn't color. Okay. I was coloring three books at the time, which at the time, given that they were hand painted, it was just enormous amount of work. I couldn't do five. They were offered to me, but I just couldn't do it. I mean, I'm going to jump forward a little, but I mean, how has your your coloring process changed over the years? I mean, obviously, technology has changed and has allowed you to probably do different things. So, how how have you adapted to kind of the changes in technology in the last you know 20 years? Well. Um, I have, uh, in the beginning I was doing the pages mostly by hand, so I would paint every page and then scan it and then adjust it in Photoshop. So it was a very time-consuming, very experimental uh, approach. As time went along, I would do more and more of uh, coloring digitally with some scanned textures and so forth. And I would change things around a little bit once in a while, but... The other thing that happened back then is that uh, it was kind of like inventing digital coloring back then. Nobody really knew. We didn't really know what we were doing. And I was very lucky because Jay put me in contact with Brian Haverland, who is not only a master colorist, but he actually gave me, he was very patient with me and gave me some very specific uh, guidance about uh, just the technical aspects of the very rudimentary Photoshop that we were using at the time and how to do trapping and ink limits and all kinds of things that uh, there was nowhere to find online or anywhere because hardly anyone was doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people were still coloring with PCs at the time and getting like, they couldn't do full gradients, they would do like zoning. So um, as, as the technology evolved, uh, we all learned Sort of simultaneously, but on our own, we learned certain methods to do coloring. And eventually, it just, you know, a few years ago, I remember checking with uh, other colorists that I knew, and we were all pretty much using the same methods. And um, one of the things that became uh, a job was uh, to have flatters uh, prepare your pages. Uh, so, flatting, which in the industry was something that was looked down upon in the very beginning because there were suspicious suspicions that flatters could be actually doing the coloring. So if you had a flatter, supposedly they were supposed to make the flats in black and white, which is extraordinarily uh, painful <laughs> to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, fortunately, at some point, I think that the editors sort of relaxed about the process and um, like most of my colleagues, I ended up having uh, assistants that helped me with the flats and uh, that do the bulk of my flatting. And that has speeded up the process tremendously. Hmm. Now, I guess when you were first kind of breaking in, obviously you were kind of like Jay's personal colorist <laughs> in some projects. Yes. But then we also see you 
cropping up a lot doing covers and not really doing interiors at the time. Was that by design or just because of the the time-consuming nature of the work? Or what was kind of the the reason behind that? It was what I was was offered. Um, In a way, uh, I had the good fortune of coming in with Jay um, as part of the Marvel Knights thing. So, um, you know, that influenced my page rate, which was very nice. And uh, I'd also, you know, the early editors I work with uh, put me in, uh, I guess we call it good gigs, because he was doing covers. So so I did a lot of covers for, you know, X-Men, for Black Panther, for... Wolverine for a lot of series, and that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. How did you end up getting the gig working on Superman Metropolis? Oh, that was really nice. Um, you know, I think that because the art by Daniel Sasilch was so different from any other mainstream comic, he had done stuff for Vertigo, but I don't think he had done. Uh, superheroes before and I don't know I don't I, I'm, I don't think he requested me um, I don't know who thought up about it I don't think it was the editor I think I don't know I think it may have been Marcherello um, but knowing that he did unusual art uh, I think they wanted somebody who was an unusual colorist mm. and so um I know it was a, a challenging thing for him because being a Superman book and being a Jimmy Olsen book and being a Metropolis book, he had to be pretty, pretty colorful. And he's used to his work being in black and white. That's how he prefers it and with the very heavy blacks and so forth. So I think it was a big um, adjustment for him. Uh, and uh, I love working with him. I absolutely adore his work and uh, after six issues um, he left the series and uh, Teddy Christensen who's another one of my heroes uh, became the the artist in the book and I absolutely love working with him and then uh, Ashley Wood did a few uh, film pages in the last few issues and he's another one of my favorite artists so that was a series that was so uh, exciting to work on and so so much fun and I feel like I did something a little bit more experimental than in other books especially Superman books I think it sadly has never been reprinted which is a pity No, I don't think it has. I mean, it's kind of an interesting book, too, because it's very much set in the current continuity of the time. Like, you almost can't read that in and of a vacuum because it's very much set in the what was going on in that in that version of Metropolis at the time that if you just kind of read that out of context, I don't know if it would make sense to a modern audience. Well, I think it's very self-contained at the same time. And I think that, um, you know, and it uses iconic characters. So um, I think that... uh, I think there's a lot of much more obscure things that get reprinted all the time and people mm. <laughs> manage to understand. True. Um, this is a bit of a, a silly question or maybe a naive question, but um, when you're working on the, you know, on let's say covers or even some of these interiors, um, what is do you, is there a discussion process with the penciler or inker uh, on the art before you get it, or like what is is there ever a discussion on you know, what they're kind of looking for and then what you're going to you know portray in the colors, or how does that work? 
everyone's different. There are artists that have extremely specific ideas what they want. There are artists that have rough ideas of what they want. And there are artists who just say, do whatever you want. And so I think that uh, it depends on the artist. Some artists are extremely uh, specific or they even, uh, in a few, very few occasions, I have even gotten color guides, but uh, sometimes I haven't gotten color guides, but I've gotten like a clear description of what they wanted. Most of the time I get some ideas, but not everything. Uh, and then good amount of times I just get do whatever works best. Um, normally after I turn it in, I always get corrections and they usually are minor. Mm -hmm. And then I do the corrections from the editor and sometimes the writer and sometimes the artist. And then I revise it and then I submit it and finish. Hmm. Well, what was the um, the experience like um, coloring Curry Andrews' artwork on uh, Spider-Man Doctor Octopus Year One? Oh, I was just talking about that book today. I was recommending it to one of my students who, um, who uh, loves Spider-Man. Um, that's one of the books I'm proudest of that I've done. Um, I am a huge fan of Gary and he's, uh, I think he's an enormous talent and, uh, and humble and just terrific. And, uh, I think I had, I don't know if I had done something with him before. Um, I did something with him after. No, I, I did. He asked for me. Yeah. Uh, he asked for me to do a Dr. Octopus uh, series for Marvel. And uh, he did it in a cartoon style. He wanted more, more or less flat colors. And we had a blast doing it. Um, so then when he decided to do Spider-Man Reign, uh, we, uh, we worked together. But it was different because he did the first issue by himself. Mm. And... Um, he created this aesthetic, which was different from anything I've ever seen. It had kind of like a video game kind of animation feeling to it and uh, sort of 3D backgrounds with uh, 2D render figures, and it was great. So anyway, after issue one, it was just too labor-intensive, so um, I was brought in to helping. And it wasn't just traditional coloring. I had to... Uh, help him composite uh, the pages and a lot of not very complicated technical stuff but something that he wants somebody that he could trust and uh, so um, and to make it sort of indistinguishable for the stuff from the stuff that he had done himself mm -hmm. so he I didn't really generate imagery for it he provided me with everything but I had to uh, work in a slightly different uh, style and um uh, and it was a lot of fun. I love the book. I love the story. I love the drawings. And, and I, I thought, I was working at, uh, in that book, I was working at the same time I was doing uh, Batman Year 100 with Paul Pope. And both books were similar because they were both kind of Dark Knight Returns inspired uh, and very at her kind of books uh, on the characters. And I was actually uh, very discouraged that uh, Spider-Man Reign never really got the reception it should have because it was trivialized by what I consider um, really sophomoric um, 
internet chatter uh, mm. that uh, really devalued the, uh, the importance of the book. And it was very um, disappointing, uh, the reception it got. Uh, surprisingly, in the past year, there's been like a revival of interest in the book. I think that because of some things in the air, that dystopian stories are... Uh, something that people feel like reading right now, mm-hmm. and uh, and I've seen it pop out in several lists as one of the best uh, dystopian comic stories, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's all due to Carrie. I mean, I was just uh, helping him out, uh, and so he. Uh, I think that it's a little bit of a you know finally getting his due, and I think that uh, hopefully um, with the rediscovery. People will learn to appreciate it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, yeah, I, I agree that it, that definitely is a book that, as you said, like the internet chatter kind of took away or diminished it a little bit because of you know something that is just kind of you know not something you need to focus on or ridicule. It's just, it's a plot point, and that yeah, they've it's been kind of sophomorically derided and un- very unfair. It's actually quite a strong story, uh, but people kind of get caught up on, on silly things. Yeah, it's like, you know, I think like the level of, of criticism that were raised to the book was like, it was icky, and it's like, okay, whatever, you know, like, it's nasty, it's like, okay, really, like, are you four years old? It's really <laughs> pathetic, really pathetic, and I think that um, it just showed that uh, there is a vociferous segment of comic book readership that insists them just having really infantile standards for their beloved characters and they just want everything to be just like it was when those characters were being done in the 60s and it just doesn't make any sense no um along uh, um throughout your career you've obviously you've you've done a lot of coloring for jh uh, williams um how did that kind of relationship start? And is, was it that relationship with doing a lot of the colors for some of his covers that brought you into Desolation Jones? Yes. Um, I've been friends with J.H. for a long time. And um, we started in Promethea. And uh, we started sort of in a roundabout way because when the Promethea collection, when the ABC collections came about, um, Alan Moore had the idea that they should have um, painted covers. And um, at the time, none of the creators that work on ABC really did much painting. Uh, Maybe Kevin Nolan would have been the one who had done the most, and even so, just sporadically. So to give him a unified look, what he suggested and Scott Tumbier agreed was that everybody was going to draw the characters in pencil and then I would turn them into paintings. Um, And so I I agreed to do it and it was great fun and I got to work with J.H. and Chris Sprouse and it was uh, Gene Hart for the first time. And it was great, 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 great fun. I loved it. Um, and then uh, Alan had seen a copy of Ales because I was working with him on some other projects. And he wanted me to do a photo comic for him. So he decided that uh, in issue 7 of Promethea there was going to be a photo collage 
section. He asked me what kind of images I wanted to do, and I told him I wanted to do a Prometheus. And uh, so he wrote that segment for me. And then I work with JH in... Um, in um, blending the photos with the drawings so the characters transform into quote-unquote live action. Then uh, on issue 12, I, there was a section that J.H. wanted painted, uh, and so I, I did that for him in watercolors. And then there were several covers where he wanted very specific painters' uh, tributes, like uh, Maxwell Parrish or... Salvador Dali, and I did that. And then at the end of the series, uh, things were supposed to go back to hyper-realist, but instead of doing it photographically, J.H. had developed this tone style that was very um, uh, realistic, very photorealistic, and he was having uh, issues getting color properly, so he asked me if I would do it. I said, sure. And so I, I sort of uh, took over for the final, uh, the grand finale, in which all the ABC titles uh, crossed over. Hmm. So that was that. And then uh, when he started working with um, Warren Ellis shortly after, he asked me to work with him on Desolation Jones, and we did the first story arc, and it was a lot of fun. He asked me to try a lot of experimental techniques and to garnish me my second Eisner nomination for Best Colors, which was great. Well, I, so, I, I forgot to even mention, I mean, obviously you did the work on Fantastic Four, one, two, three, four, that got your first Eisner yeah. nomination. Um, what was the experience of working on that book? I mean, I believe that was Jay again, right? Yeah, that was Jay, and uh, it was under Marvel Knights, and, you know, of course, big fan of Graham Morrison, and Jay is also a big fan and uh, it, by that time, I had a lot more confidence in the painted colors than I did uh, with either Hellshock or or Sentry. And Jay really had found uh, a better way to, uh, especially his storytelling had, I think, in my opinion, really improved at that point. And so... Um, it was very fun. It was very, very fun. We had some issues with censorship, which were unfortunate. Um, at the time, uh, Marvel characters could not smoke. Um, and uh, Grant wrote the thing as lighting a cigar, cigar after beating up the bad guys in the first sequence of the first issue. Mm-hmm. And so that had to be erased. And he was does some strange gestures. It was also a little bit unfortunate because Grant, being Grant, had used the smoke that he puffs out uh, as a screen that separates him from the rest of the team. So it actually had a really uh, clever, uh, symbolic uh, sort of look. But uh, it was taken out. And there was a scene where there was a lot of blood and I remember that being taken out as well. So, you know, it kind of woke that fine line. I think the code has been abolished by then, but there were, Marvel was very concerned with not creating any controversies at the time. And um, um, and so the story, which was had some strong content, was a little bit uh, cleaned up for that. So 
but it was a great experience and you know Jay got the Eisner nomination for best cover artist we got uh, I think Grant got it for best writer I got it for best colorist so it was like nominations all around <laughs> for sure uh, fast forwarding a little you kind of got to establish the you know the the color tone for the um, the rebooted X Factor book in the mid two thousands uh, I guess originally doing the colors for Ryan Sook. Um, how did you kind of get involved in that book? Because that was, you know, obviously a more of an ongoing assignment where I think you did, what, 12 or so issues? Um, yeah, no issues. So, I mean, obviously a lot of your projects up until then have been story arcs or covers or limited series. What was it like to be on a book for a year and also establish the groundwork for an ongoing series in terms of what the visual tone of that book was going to be? Well, I'm a huge fan of Ryan Sook and... Uh, and I go to a lot of conventions and, and things. So, you know, I remember meeting him uh, in one convention and just telling him how much I love his stuff. And, uh, uh, and of course, you know, told him that if any, any day he ever wanted to work with me, I, I'd be glad to because I really, I thought I had a feeling I could understand what he did. Uh, and so, and then, you know, nothing happened for a while. And then one day I get a call from an editor and it's like, Ryan Sukas has for you. So I was tickle pink, and uh, it was for Spider-Man story. It was a backup, and I uh, exchanged some. I don't know if we email or we talk through the editor, but basically he asked me to color it flat, and I color it flat, and we didn't hear anything from it anymore. So then, uh, a little while later, when he was assigned X Factor. Uh, I think it was the editor who asked for me, but he agreed. And I talked to him, it's like, are you happy with what I did? And he said, yes, because you actually did it flat. And you're the first artist, the first colorist that I asked for flat colors, who actually did flat colors. I said, well, you know, of course the, the artist is always right as far as I'm concerned, and I love flat colors. Flat color was not a thing then. Mm-hmm. And the country, like most mainstream comics, were super rendered. So, um, he did the first, almost the first three issues of, uh, of X Factor, but he's, he takes his he takes his time. He's very detail oriented and very perfectionist. So what I did to design that the coloring for that book is actually, I used the cover that he did for issue one, which he colored himself as a style guide. Okay. And that cover had a lot of green, a lot of yellow and, uh, certain shades for uh, skin colors and so forth, um, slightly bright orange for the hair, the characters that have orange hair. Uh, and so I use that as a basis for the colors. And then Dennis Calero took over, and he did a very good job. And then uh, eventually, uh, oh, Ariel Devetti, who was one of my heroes, did one issue, not in his typical style, and eventually Roy Allen Martinez, whom I also love, did uh, some work for it so um, you know I think the color helped uh, keep it consistent and uh, keep the you know there was a lot everybody was trying to go for kind of a noir look and so I did a lot of um, much flatter color that you would see in other places in that book so you've been, up until this point, I mean, obviously you've, you've done stuff with DC and you've had a lot of associations with Marvel. So what led you to uh, do the colors for the Conan book at Dark Horse? Um, I was actually supposed to work in Conan because 
Tom Corbin was coming in. And uh, I had worked with Richard Corbin yeah, at Marvel already. And Corbin is, you know, if you read anything that I ever wrote about anything, Corbin is like, I mean, I'm talking about a lot of people that I like, but for me, Corbin is in a different category. He's, uh, he's the master. Uh, I think, in my opinion, he's the greatest living comics artist. And um, and for color, he has been absolutely my greatest influence. So I had worked with him. Axel Alonso assigned me to do Cage, uh, which was an extraordinary experience. And then when he was convinced to go to uh, Dark Horse to do an arch, story arch of Conan, uh, um, it was decided, I guess, editorially that I would be coloring him. What happened, though, was that uh, I was supposed to then, it was brought up for me uh, to take the series, to take over the series with Carrie Nord, and that's the first time I met Carrie, and uh, we had a conversation of um, Dave Stewart, who had been doing a really great job in the series, was leaving the series, and uh, Carrie wanted to talk to me about what we were going to do together. We talked about it, we planned it, and then he actually changed his plans and Tomas Giorello was brought in to be the colorist for Conan and so at first the person that was coloring the covers was coloring Tomas and he was not uh, happy because that was not the vision that he had for the book uh, he wanted something more like the colors in Frazetta is specifically what he said mm -hmm. so the editor said to me can you do the colors in Frazetta I said of course so I came in and finished the uh, the story arc, and then when the series was relaunched, which included the segments by Richard Corbin, I became the regular colorist. And that was a pretty fun experience overall? Conan? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm a huge uh, Robert Howard uh, fan, and I grew up with uh, all the comics. I've studied those like, <laughs> <laughs> like they were a master thesis, and uh, um, Tomas is a fantastic artist. Uh, it was very, very, very fun. And uh, Nina, we grew together working on that book. I think we, I think we have worked on that book for seven years. I don't know when you add all the miniseries that we did. And um, I think uh, he's been consistently uh, great in doing uh, heroic fantasy. And uh, uh, I feel that we got stronger. Uh, the longer we work together. So it was an amazing experience. The editor is a good friend. and uh, the, uh, Dark Horse had uh, much uh, leisure deadlines compared with, um, with other companies, and um, it was great. Hmm. How, did you, um, how did your name end up becoming involved in the, the Wednesday Comics kind of experiment working with uh, Paul Pope? Well, I had known Paul for a long time, socially, big fan, of course, and uh, when, you know, Paul always worked in black and white, and he even did, well, two tones for Vertigo and so forth, and when he came up with the idea of Batman Year 100, um, that it was decided that that book would be in color, and I remember talking to Paul, and he actually talked to me, and he asked me to color Batman Year 100 and 
Paul being Paul, and Paul is a very, uh, he has very broad knowledge of art, and he's very, uh, he's very sophisticated in his taste. Um, so he actually was very impressed with my color photography, <laughs> of all things. And that's what convinced him that I would be the right colorist for Batman Year 100. Uh, we have Bob Shrek as editor, so it was a fantastic situation. And uh, so we did Batman Year 100, and uh, it was very inspiring to me. It was a lot of fun, uh, minimum corrections. Uh, Paul is uh, incredibly generous uh, with his collaborators. And, uh, and he won an Eisner for best, uh, I think, best new series or best limited series or something. So that was great. Mm-hmm. So um, since then, Paul always wanted to work with me, and uh, so when he was offered Wednesday Comics, uh, I was the, you know, I think I was his first choice because because uh, the kind of rapport that we have. What? Um, how did you kind of adapt, or how did you develop the the style that you ended up employing on that story? I mean, it's got a very obviously a kind of a pulpy feel, which I'm obviously is kind of the point with the, the way that the story was kind of written and uh, the adventure that kind of unfolds for Adam Strange. But how did you kind of go about uh, developing the visual tone? Well, I discussed it with with uh, Paul, and basically what I suggested and he liked was the idea of. Uh, since it was supposed to be done like a tabloid, to actually use the palette uh, of uh, um, what uh, comics used to look like, uh, uh, Sunday comics used to look like in the 1940s, 50s, etc. And so um, I actually scanned a palette of color from that era. I uh, I was very careful not to cheat. Um, I didn't have any gradients. I only used flat colors. Um, and um, I was very careful about the color combinations so they would look right and um, uh, and to give it kind of an exotic feel of like purple and greens and so forth so um, it was a lot of fun lots of fun I really like the I like the original printing better than the collection Um, it's larger and it's a newsprint so it looks more like it should have, and the, the collection is nicely packaged, but I don't really, I mean, even though it's more accurate, I don't really like the uh, varnish paper as much, and I don't really enjoy the reduced redu- size. That was mm. kind of a compromise. It's kind of interesting that usually the collected editions are, you know, nicer versions, or, you know, you get to see things is presented in a way that you don't get to see in the original printed version, but you're right. Because the original was printed on newsprint in the way that it was, and the nice size, it's interesting that where the collection's almost not as good. <laughs> well, the only way that it could have made it as good is if they had printed it in that kind of um, Little Nemo or the Wonderful Sundays uh, mm. or the Kramer Circuit that they did like that, uh, like a, you know, 16 by 21 inches uh, hardcover. But that would have been so prohibitive for comic book fans that uh, they wouldn't want to take a chance with that. No. Do you, I mean, it's interesting, so you've obviously had like a, a bunch of different runs on kind of ongoing titles, and then obviously you've worked on these more smaller projects that are more finite in nature. Which one do you kind of prefer? Like, do you like uh, the kind of the more monthly grind of, you know, uh, establishing a visual tone and doing it a month in, month out? 
Um, or do you like kind of these more special projects where you get to kind of take a little bit more time with it and, you know, kind of experiment more and, and push yourself in different directions as opposed to what you might be allowed to do on the time frame that's that's given on a monthly book? I like both. Um, I think that sometimes there's something very rewarding about doing a book um, rapidly and making fast decisions and getting it done. And other times it's good to be able to plan something a little bit different. Um, in books like Sweet Tooth, which I think is probably the longest series I've ever done, I was able to work very spontaneously, but over several years. So that was very fun. And I love I love Jeff, uh, and I love that book. That was great. So, um, you know, I like variety. I think that uh, that's one of the great things about being a colorist, is that you can work with many different artists in many different styles and do a great variety of projects. And um, I think that... Um, I have been offered more shorter runs on things and specials than series. I think that's a budgeting thing for regular colorists. It's also um, um, a matter of um, high-profile longer series tend to go to colorists that have exclusives with the companies, Mm -hmm. which I want to do since I have a full-time job already. Um, and so I think that a lot of those are editorial decisions and not so much my decision. So I'm usually happy with whatever I'm assigned and, and I like the challenge of doing something that I didn't expect, but I have many times asked for specific jobs with artists that I wanted to work with or writers. When the new 52 happened over at DC, you got to be a part of the team that launched Action Comics. What was that like to kind of be on, you know, a very high profile launch during, you know, a pretty important period? I mean, critically, I mean, obviously the the launch of the new 52 was definitely a a point of conversation, if nothing else. And you got to launch one of the bigger books in terms of kind of establishing some of the colors in Action Comics. What was that like? I had a very small contribution to that, actually, because I only work on the backup. Mm. And I worked with Chris Cross, who I had worked with a long time before when he first first got started uh, in a Marvel uh, in a book. And his work is beautiful and it's very easy to color. And uh, I did two stories with him, but I didn't really have, a, you know, I don't think he had any impact on anything else. It was just a, a very minor contribution. Mm. And then you also got to work on, uh, I guess, the the Age of Ultron book. Oh yeah, that was fun. No, that that's obviously a kind of a big tentpole series. So you know, how does when who contacts you and who says you know we got to have you on this on this big book? The artist um, that was uh, Carlos Pacheco, and Carlos is a friend. Uh, he's been a friend of mine for uh, I've known him for many years, and. Um, Carlos is also from Spain, like I am. Uh, he's worked only pretty much for the American market, like I have. Um, he's of my generation, so we have a lot of um, uh, common points of reference. Mm-hmm. And we always had a very... I think we became friends on the first time we ever met, just because we had so much in common. And I was very aware of his work, and he was of mine as well. But we didn't work together for years. And then finally, uh, when he was doing Age of Ultron, he asked for me. Uh, he wanted a very sp- specific look uh, in his segment of Age of 
uh, Ultron and uh, so he had some nice landscapes and bits like that so it was a lot of fun a lot of fun and I'm I'm planning to do some more work for him I've done some covers and stuff uh, but I'm planning to do some more interior work with him in the foreseeable future your uh, your colors did look great over his pencils there like they they really popped thank you it was really fun and, you know that was a book that was jam-packed with talented artists and colorists so um, you know he had to blend them at the same time. It was a bit of a flashback, and, you know, we did all the Savage Land stuff, and it was great. It was really fun. It was, it was a fun book, and it was, a, it was just great to be working with a friend. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of current work, um, so you have been, have been working on Betty and Veronica. Oh, uh, yes. Now, how did, like, first of all, absolutely love that book. I mean, and your colors are such a huge part of what really I mean obviously it's got great artwork by Adam Hughes but you really um, really the images really dance off the page the way that you've colored them and I'm just curious first of all how did you kind of get approached to work with Adam on uh, on the art for this book and how did you kind of develop the visual style because uh, obviously you know we already have this kind of relaunched version of the Archie books and what the characters have looked like in the other books but how did you kind of develop the a very particular color palette for this book well, it was um, it was Adam's idea, and uh, you know, like everybody else, has been been a fan of Adam, like since uh, since May's agency, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, since he worked in the Inside Studios here in Baltimore when he was very young, um, I have known Adam and Alice and his wife socially for many years, really. Uh, I remember them coming to Paris when I was in sabbatical there, maybe 12 years ago, hanging out with them. And uh, so I would see them at conventions and so on and so forth. And uh, what Adam does, you know, he has a one-man show. He does those beautifully uh, digitally painted covers. And uh, so when he pitched or was assigned Betty and Veronica, uh, he and Alison asked me if I would be interested in working with him and I said yes of course so uh, because he is accustomed to completing the artwork by himself uh, without an inker and without a colorist um, Adam had very 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 specific ideas of how he wanted uh, the book to look and uh, um, so he, uh, he gave me very clear and very specific directions, almost of the language that he wanted um, me to use for it, and a lot of it had to do with uh, really dropping the line art, colorizing all of the line art, and really dropping it, which is something I've never really done before, and uh, keeping the colors very flat, uh, except all the girls would have, like, rosy cheeks and uh, (laughs) lipstick, and uh, uh, sort of soft retro uh, look. And he gave me very uh, detailed color notes. He made some corrections uh, as well. And uh, so really it was was a look that I had to have the wherewithal to shape what he wanted, but it was all heavily art directed by Adam to to fit his aesthetic. Wow. I mean, those those first two issues are absolutely gorgeous to look at. Thank you. The third one coming out soon. 
Yeah, I'm very excited to read it. I mean, that it's, it's interesting. Like, I've never been a huge Archie fan, and since they've relaunched all these books, they've been so well done. Um, and, you know, keeping the core essence of the characters, but in a modern flair. And um, your, your book, and obviously the, the main Archie book and the Jughead book, um, I've never never thought I'd be able to say, oh, I'm a huge Archie fan, and I read all the issues now. <laughs> That's great. I'm so glad. I'm really um, proud of that book. And obviously you're, you're also working on uh, the new series America from Marvel. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now that book looks fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That was, um, so what happened was, Joe Quinones, I discovered his work because he did stuff for Wednesday Comics. Uh, so he, I love his work on Wednesday Comics. And so I knew him as well from the convention scene. And he's a super nice guy, of course. And so um, when he was assigned uh, America, he had seen the Betty and Veronica book and he really loved uh, what I was doing there but he wanted something similar to that in some ways but different and so he asked me if I would I said yes of course it'd be my pleasure so um, he uh, he did a little bit of um, he had uh, character designs for the series with uh, which specified the characters of the, the course of the cast costumes and skin of some of them and the hair and the eyes and things like that and uh, and then we were on and uh, it's been a lot of fun it's a great book in so many regards but I like that he asked me to do something with a color that is very different from I think what anybody else is doing um, and that really sets the book apart and uh, the reception of the co- to the color has been extremely positive I'm really happy because we're taking a lot of chances by doing the color quite so flat and making it so saturated and vibrant and, mm-hmm. you know, almost garish in places. And uh, and people like it. And, you know, a lot of people assume, I don't know exactly why, that my colors are always uh, moody. Uh, <laughs> it's because of I, all the Jay Lee artwork. <laughs> maybe, but that was 20 years ago. <laughs> I know, but it's so it's so iconic, you know, like there. When I think of some of Jay Lee's art, I think of your your colors on it. Like it's, okay. you know, some of the most iconic stuff I think that Jay's done has been with your colors on it. So I mean, it I can understand why people might think, oh, you know, Jose his 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 artwork is uh, is is going to be moody because there's that 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 image in people's heads. Maybe you know, maybe, but like you know, I can do colorful. I can do. <laughs> Moody, I can do saturated. I can do saturated. Sure. Well, one thing I really liked about the second issue of America is just like you have uh, a few of those pages where you do have a much more drab color sense, except for America herself, who's wearing the blue, and it, it's yeah. just so eye-catching because she stands out so much from what's going on, and it makes sense given the story and you know what's going on in those pages. But you, the artwork, well, the colors, I should say, really help sell that um, in a in a very clever way. Thank you. I was happy uh, in the second issue, you know, we had a part of it was drawn by different artists uh, because of time constraints. And I was happy to uh, be able to color the whole thing to unify it somewhat. Uh, so that was really nice. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I really liked your colors on uh, Devil Dinosaur. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was such a fun opportunity to do. And, uh, you know, as you notice, like, the one thing that I did different from the way it's normally colored, I didn't put a lot of rendering. I didn't put a lot of 
uh, little scales and things like that. I love the idea of him being a cartoon figure, mm-hmm. you know, like something out of animation. Absolutely. Well, what else are you are you working on right now that you can kind of t- talk to us about? Obviously, I guess more issues of Betty and Veronica and uh, in America. But what else do you kind of have in the pipeline that you can talk about? I I have a project that hasn't been announced that I'm extraordinarily uh, excited about. Uh, it's been approved, but it hasn't been announced, and it's a series that I'm actually editing. Oh wow. And uh, that's something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And um, it's something that should be launched later this year. And so uh, it will be announced and we'll talk about who the creative team is and so on and so forth. But I am the editor of the book and uh, and that's something that I'm hoping to do more of. Mm-hmm. I'm also, um, and one of the colorists, uh, one of the two colorists on Sacred Beasts, which is a book that uh, Klaus Janssen is doing with um, uh, Pablo Raimondi okay. uh, for Image. Yeah. I, um, I have a few other things that are in the works that I cannot talk about yet, <laughs> <laughs> including some things for a European publisher, a French publisher, um, but until they're announced, I can't really uh, say anything about them. And uh, and I've been expanding the kind of thing I do. I, I just wrote uh, a chapter for a book on Spanish comic artists that uh, Dynamite put out with uh, my friend um, David Roach asked me to help him with it, and it was great fun. And I'm going to be writing a chapter on a book on Jack Kirby for a French publisher. Oh, wow. um, we have Paul and I, Paul Pope and I have a big, thing coming up that is going to make fans of Batman Year 100 very happy, I think. But I can't announce it yet. Uh, It's a a good tease, though. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm up to right now um, at the moment. Um, Sounds like a very busy busy palette, or plate, I should say. a A lot of stuff going on. I like to keep busy, you know. I also teach full-time, so um, I think that uh, it's very exciting for me to do that. And uh, and I feel that um, there's a lot of things I still want to do in the comics uh, industry, and editing is on the top of my list. So um, I, I've been like a closet editor forever, and this particular uh, creative team that I'm working with, uh, we're aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> And they know me very well, so um, I think that that's uh, that's a very exciting opportunity. And uh, um, you know, and I think that uh, I'd like to see what happens next. You know, um, in the meantime, you know, I'm always um, there's always with um, with comics as a freelancer when you don't have a full time uh, contract with a company. You get calls from editors, you get calls from artists, you get calls from writers. I mean, the last thing I completed for DC, which was one of my favorite things I've done for them, was the Dead Man miniseries with Dan Medina. Oh, yeah. And that, that ended just a couple months ago, and uh, that was a phenomenal project. And I was not as aware of Lan Medina as I should have been. Uh, and uh, it was just uh, an amazing job. Uh, for me, I loved it, and it was completely different from other things I've done because it was fully rendering gray tones. So color had to play a very sp- 
specific balance. Uh, so, you know, um, and I do sporadic works for other companies, for Legendary, or for, you know, uh, I just color some covers for Dynamite. And I, 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 I sort of like to diversify as much as I can. And that's, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to do that. Sure. Well, it's interesting too that, as you said, like a lot of those projects end up doing very different types of things. So not only are you know you have the full time you know teaching gig, but then you, you get when you get these projects, you get to experiment and try new things. So it's not like you're always doing the same style. You're always kind of constantly evolving and trying new things, and that just kind of pushes you as an artist. And yeah, thank you. And I think that that's that's uh, you know my background is all in fine art, and so um, I sort of was trained to be flexible and to try you know to be willing to try new things and to not get set in always doing the same thing and you know one of the things is that uh, there's certain aesthetic to my to the colors that I choose I think but um, I try not to repeat the same color combinations over and over I try to uh, to change things around and if you go to um, I don't really have a website because the industry is too small and I really knock on woodwork regularly with all the American companies but if you go to my Facebook page which is open to the public um, I have um, I have a, f- a folder within the photos that is uh, coloring samples and what I decided to do which nobody was doing at the time was uh, I started to put the line art next to the color uh, image and uh, lo and behold I was very surprised because you know my friends liked it and stuff, but industry people, including people that I had worked with, were very complimentary because they could actually see very clearly what I did in each job. Hmm. And I think that hopefully if you get a look at that, uh, take a look at that, uh, it's just a small uh, sampling of what I've done, but uh, hopefully it's not monotonous in terms of the colors that I'm using I read the other day that just for Marvel and DC, uh, until, like stopping two years ago, I had done 2,000 pages. Wow. Um, that doesn't include, you know, Image, Dark Horse, IDW, etc., 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 Dynamite. Um, so, I can't believe I've done so many. <laughs> That's a lot it's of a, work. That's a lot of work. So, um, yeah. Yes. And, much, and much more to come, right? <laughs> oh, hopefully. Hopefully. You know, you never know. But yeah, yeah, I think so. I, as I said, you know, I have some I have some things in the oven that uh, I'd love to talk to you about when they are announced. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, would be happy to the one, that, the one that I'm editing, I would love to tell you more. And uh, something I'm extremely proud of. And, uh, and when the time comes, I wish I should be late this year. Uh, I think... Um, I'm going to be ready to talk. <laughs> All right. Well, when when you're ready to talk about it, uh, well, I'll be happy to have you back to uh, talk about the experience and what it was like putting it all together and the finished product. Thank you so much. Well, Jose, thank you so much for uh, for taking time out of your day today. Uh, you're, obviously, you have a very busy um, career. You have a lot going on. As you said, you have the full-time job and you have all these other jobs uh, keeping you busy. So thank you for taking the time uh, out of that very busy schedule to talk with us tonight. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.